Good morning, everyone. Isn't it a great day? Do you know why it's a great day for me? Because I'm actually standing here looking at all of you. And seriously, when I look at you, I see Jesus. I see Jesus in action. I see Jesus serving in this place. I see amazing um, Jesus parenting in this place. I see amazing Jesus fellowship in this place. And I just think that um, it's such a blessing to be here, and I'm glad that you've made it. Um, I'm not usually nervous at speaking. I'm quite nervous about, about this. <laughs> but we'll get there. Yes, good. Um, this morning, as I said, um, I'm talking about, I was going to call it positioning ourselves, but on the way in in the car, God gave me a little bit more. So there's an added line to it. So if I go late, it's not my fault. Um, and, and it is positioning ourselves for increased capacity. And we, I'm going to be talking on four parables this morning. We're going to cover the mustard seed, the leavened bread, the treasure, and the pearl of great price. So we'll start off with this one. The parable of the mustard seed. Another parable he, Jesus, put forth to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is the least of all the seeds. But when it is grown, it is greater than the herbs and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. Now, a lot of us who do cooking like to use herbs, don't we? And it's said the mustard seed is a herb. And usually, if you have herbs, some of us will put them in a pot on our bench. Um, I have some on my balcony, and I also have some on my patio. And doesn't that make me sound as if I'm quite, quite oh, ritzy? You should see, I've only got about a 75-meter square place. But there is a balcony, and there is a, a patio. And I have several herbs um, growing there. But if we actually have a look at the size of a mustard seed, that is what it grows to. That is a herb, and that is it growing into a tree. Now, I'm glad I haven't got one of those on my kitchen bench. <laughs> but what is really interesting is that if we, if, when it's allowed to go like this, it actually is messy. Even though birds come, it's messy. And James has made mention about listening to Alan Scott and the ripple effect. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I've been listening to this. And what Alan is doing is he's likening different revivals to different um, parables. And the revival that he has likened to the parable of the mustard seed is the revival in Toronto, which of course is vineyards revival, if you like. And it was 25 years ago this year that that happened. And in that revival, what did we see? Did we see messy? Absolutely, we saw messy. That is what a picture of that revival was like. It was very, very messy. And often that's what can happen when God gets hold of you it can really be messy. And I, I can witness that because I have gone through a season that's lasted about two and a half years and it's been the messiest time of my life. It has just been so messy that if I'm allowed to see it these days, I, I haven't known if I'm Arthur or Martha some days. 
God just got hold of me and decided it was time for a bit of a change. And that is what happened. It's just, it got messy. I didn't really know where I was. I'm used to being quite an organized person, ticking the boxes. None of that happened very much in the last two and a half years. But I can tell you that there has been an amazing heart change. And I'll get into that a little bit more. So the mustard seed. Look at the capacity of a mustard seed. It starts off, as you know, so small, and it gets as, as big as that picture. Really want to hone in on capacity today as well. But the mustard seed, as far as a kingdom perspective goes, teaches the destined greatness of the kingdom of God, that this kingdom fulfilled by Jesus in his day looked so insignificant, didn't it? I mean, it started with Jesus. And then along came 12 disciples, and then one fell off, and then there was 11 left. But its greatness would be realized when it came to fruition in the natural, and how great the kingdom of God will be at the end of the age, and it is still growing into that final state. But any time that there is a move of God, it's messy. Just keep that in mind. So the next one we're going to is the parable of leavened bread. Another parable he spoke to them. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in, hid in three measures of meal till it was all leavened. Now, leaven in the bread, how enticing is the smell of fresh bread? In our Western world, I doubt that there's anyone who would, who would smell a loaf of bread that's just come out the oven and gone, oh, that smells awful. Most of us, I think, look at it with great anticipation and think, oh, wonderful, how quick can I cut that to eat it? On its own, of course, leaven is nothing. It needs to be mixed, doesn't it? And bakeries were common in the Roman world, but here the parable is showing that it's a country woman. The three measures would be all she would be able to make in one batch, but it would feed about 100. So capacity increased capacity. The word being worked into our own lives first and then spread into our worlds through our words and our actions is like leaven mixing with the meal and the flour. And at present, the kingdom is not fully manifest, but meanwhile, the word going forward does its work of penetrating evil and transforming lives. And that's what we want to see. The next one is the parable of hidden treasure. And again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and hid. And for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. So back in Jesus' day, treasure was often buried for safekeeping. And the most likely circumstances here is that this has been a peasant who's been working in the field of a wealthy landowner and he found the treasure, but he covered it up again so that the landowner wouldn't see it and claim it for himself. Then the peasant invested all his own resources, he bought the field and got the treasure with it. Stories of finding lost treasure circulated among the poor in Jesus' day, and he uses this story to stir his, his hearers to seek for a treasure greater than any on earth. And of course, the treasure is salvation. It's Jesus, and it's linked with salvation. 
And following on from that, the parable of the pearl of great price. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, who, when he found the one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. This third and fourth parable are about discovering the value of the kingdom and forsaking everything to possess it. Get that? It's forsaking everything. Both stress a real superlative value of the kingdom. A common interpretation is that a person should be willing to part with everything in order to possess the kingdom. So the first thing is to really recognize that the kingdom of God requires our highest commitment. Quite a big ask. The second is understanding that the kingdom is worth more than any other pursuit. And it's very easy in this world to get caught up in pursuits. And it's okay to pursue as long as we're not making it greater. Sometimes we can actually get caught up in the pursuit of doing things for God and actually not keeping the kingdom as the main thing. I was saved in 1990 and there was such a push on evangelism then. And I joined an outreach team. And when I think about the way that we used to do things, we would almost get people down in a lock, say the sinner's prayer. If they said it, it was good. No discipling. We were not making disciples. We were making converts. And, and a lot of them, of course, because of the tactics that we used, um, really only did it to oblige and then went on their own way. But... It really confused me, and I remember reading in the book of Judges, and I came to the judge called Othniel, who was Caleb's younger brother. And he managed to get the people to repent. You know what the circle was with judges, that the people would be good, and then they would sin, and after several years they would think, gosh, we don't really want to do this, so they'd call out to God, and God would use different means and methods to get them... um, or get them to repent to start with, and then they'd repent, and then everything would be okay for a while. Well, Othniel did this. He got the people to repent, and he actually, after that, went to war against the king of Mesopotamia, who was a very strong man, and of course, because the people had repented, God's hand was on them, and they won. And then it said they rested for 40 years, and in my mindset back then of pursuing all the time, I thought, What do they mean they rested? Why weren't they out evangelizing? I didn't realize they didn't actually evangelize in the Old Testament. (laughs) And, And the other thing that I thought at that time was, and I used to get so cross, I mean, it's terrible, and I'm nearly ashamed to say it. I used to get really cross with Christians who'd spend hours in the garden because I'd be thinking, why aren't you out there evangelizing? So you see that we can pursue things and actually lose, lose sight of the kingdom and what the kingdom is all about. The third thing is to be ready to forsake any personal goals that may hinder you. And, you know, sometimes God does require us to actually give our lives as we hear with the persecuted church and with martyrs. Caleb talked about the chess club last week and highlighted how blessed we are with the freedom we have to meet and worship. And then we prayed for the persecuted church just as Shirley did today. I heard this amazing story of a, new, a young woman, 
a new Chinese convert, and she was on her way one Sunday morning to the persecuted church, and the authorities stopped her and said, where are you going? And being a Christian, she didn't want to lie, so she thought for a minute and she said, my older brother has died, I'm going to meet with my family, and we are going to read his testament. And I thought, what an incredible way to describe what she's actually doing going to see Jesus with the family of believers and read, read the, the Gospels. Wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. So I just want to go over what God also has been speaking to me while I've been at church and what's been coming forward from the various people that have been speaking. During worship, probably four weeks ago, I think it was the day that James was speaking on being yoked, during that worship, I, I got a real sense and saw a picture that God is wanting to strip away. And I got the picture of Australian gum trees. And you know how they've got bark that sort of just sits? And it's like God was coming and he was stripping all of that. And then about two songs later, Anna was leading and we were singing, I enter his gates with nothing but praise. And having, God having alerted to me about the stripping, I really got such a clear picture that the things that we pursue here on this earth, and some of them are really good, and God's calling you to do that, and it's absolutely right. But the time that we are going to be at the gates, we will have nothing but praise. We're probably going to be on our own unless for some reason God allows us to go with other people or family members. But we will have nothing but praise. And then, um, and then James was preaching about being yoked and he put up a picture of a couple of bullocks with the yoke. And at that moment it struck me that if we have anything between, if there's anything between the yokes and the bullocks, it doesn't work. And with those heavy yokes that they have, even if they had like a little barley, a barley head caught in there, that would cause so much irritation and so much distraction. So what I was seeing there in that whole thing again is that there can be nothing, there can be nothing between when we are yoked. And then Johnny talked about being recentered, and before that, Nicholas had talked about being recalibrated. And Johnny went on to say about Jesus being the centre, that we get distracted, that we need to strip away and bring our real selves to to God. And it, as I was looking over the notes of the other people, and then I looked and saw that Chris, when he was speaking on grief which is the series he's doing intermittently, he spoke about it being messy as well, that grief is messy. And I said, gosh, Lord, you really are speaking to us. And I, I'm just trying to sort of in some way tie, tie things up today. Because every day we have a choice as to how long we're going to expose ourselves to the king and his kingdom, don't we? Now, I believe we do this every time we read the word, every time we worship, every time we pray, when we're fellowshipping with believers, even if we're walking along and we're just meditating about the word in our mind, when we're evangelizing, and when we're modeling by action. 
And I believe every time we do that, that we're exposing our hearts to being changed by God. Sometimes it doesn't feel like it. And sometimes if, if you're in something like a winter season, you can come along week after week and actually not really feel that God is doing anything at all. I mean, part of this messiness I've had over the last two and a half years has been a real winter season as well. But winter seasons are so important. We need, we need when the seed goes down into the ground and gets covered, and, and I actually had that prophetically spoken over me about oh, six or seven weeks ago. Um, yeah, that, that God had hidden me. And, and it was just completely true of what had happened. But when we're in that winter season, you know, you all know what happens, that you know, the roots go down, things get, things get um, prepared. It's a time of preparation. And then, of course, we come into spring. And having lived in Britain and gone through the tougher winters there, and we've got two... British people here today, we know what it's like, you know, the, the winter's there, um, even though I was born in Scotland, I came out to New Zealand when I was five, and so I, was, I grew up here, and I got used to, even in Dunedin, um, the, the winter days, but you really rarely get more than three or four bad days, and then the sun comes out, it's not like that in Britain, not where I lived up the north, it was like grey skies, grey footpaths, grey buildings, and if it wasn't grey, it was raining, and you had that for several months, and if I'm doing Britain's weather a disservice, then I do, I do apologise, but that's what I went through. But the spring, when spring comes and the hyacinths and the daffodils and all those flowers come up and it just changes your outlook, you know, you, you just start feeling good. And when we come in after a winter and come into a spring season with God, it really does our hearts good. And then we come into, of course, the summer. And in summer, everything gets really relaxed and you feel as if you're having some mountain tops. And that's when you, you're really aware if there's been a heart change. Often in summer, I find anywhere, you know, my heart is just so toward God. Whereas in winter, I'm scrunched up like this more in, in the natural. Mm. There's something about me that you guys don't know. And that is that in late 1996, I was given... A, a, an Italian-made red Ferrari. I was very surprised to get it, and um, and I'll show it to you. <laughs> it's made in Italy. It's red, and it's a Ferrari. Now, what what is a woman my age doing with a model car? There's a story. So, in our last week, last um, month at college we all got prophesied over. It's called a presbytery when, you, when you're going out. And I didn't, there was three, three prophets. I didn't know any of them. So you're in a room with 120 people. They're at the front here, and you sit in a chair here, and 120 people are sitting all around. And one of the prophets took one look at me and started laughing. I was nervous enough sitting there, and then he laughed again, and he laughed again. And I thought, oh, no. And he said to me, you're quite a racy lady, aren't you? 23 years ago, and I'm going. He said, you like to drive fast cars. And everyone erupted because of the one thing, amongst many others, that I found it really difficult to do was to drive in the speed limit. Not around the town, but once I got out there, me and 100 keys just didn't really mix well. And the students knew that I liked to drive very fast, and so they were laughing. But he said to me, 
you see yourself in a Mini, it's time to move up to the Ferrari. And I actually didn't have much of an idea on what he was actually talking about. And it sounds silly, doesn't it? Because it's so logical, but it took me ages. And so one of my friends bought this, and I always keep it in view. I don't remind myself very much about the potential that there is there. But for us to increase our capacity, that's really what was being said. It's like, you've got it there, move into it. And I'm just wondering today, in your lives, what have you got that you're not moving into? What is God opening up? What has he capacitized for you that could just be ready? Maybe he's never, never shown you yet, and I pray that today he really will. I'm just going to go back to, um, to talking about the yoke and what James, um, what, that, that one that James showed us about the yoke, that when we are truly yoked with Jesus, when we're truly positioned and we're in sync with Jesus. And it's not a long message today, but just in closing, I just want to go over some stuff um, and, um, and just ask some questions and I just want you to get into a position of just, if you can, really connecting um, with the kingdom now. And if you feel later to response, I, uh, to respond, I just ask that you would. So here we are. How great is the treasure of Jesus to you today? Really, how great is it? When did you remind yourself, gosh, that the treasure? is incomparable. How great is the pearl of great price to you today? Is he worthy of giving everything and everyone up so they won't separate you from him? When we're truly yoked with Jesus, we're so close that we can experience his heartbeat. We're so close we long to become more like him. Now, what do I mean by that? Taking on the very nature of Christ, that those things that hinder us don't hinder us anymore, that those things like in my life where I can tend to react to people, I'm getting better, but it's still a measure to go, but just not reacting the way I used to. So close that we long to keep the kingdom focused. So close that when we do respond, we're responding with a kingdom mindset. So close that we see the world through his eyes. So close that our hearts are actually beating to the same beat as Jesus so close that there is actually nothing, 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 nothing between us. When everything is stripped away, it's just us and him. And that's the way it's going to be when we get to the kingdom. We'll enter his gates with nothing but praise. We position ourselves to be in the very best position in the whole world, and that is yoked and in sync with Jesus.
I'm going to pray a blessing over you today. And it's from the words of Matthew 11:29, And it says, Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. And I believe there's some of you today that are carrying burdens that you don't need to be carrying. Maybe there's some people that are distracting you, worrying you, keeping your eyes off the Lord. Maybe you're worrying about things. Whatever it is, if there is anything that's separating you and you feel that today is the day that you want to allow the Lord to strip back, allow the Lord to put his yoke upon you, not your not not carry the yoke that you have put upon yourself. I just pray today that you'd respond. Think of the mustard seed. Some of us might see ourselves as too small. Like me, you might still be in a mini when you've got a capacity for a Ferrari. You might see yourself as a mustard seed that really can't grow very much. But God is saying, yes, you can. Yoke with me and I will increase your capacity. Position yourself next to me. Let me put my yoke upon you and get rid of those things that separate. When people in the world look at us, they just see us, but we have this other world that is so available to us. And of course, it's the kingdom, and it's everything in the kingdom. There are over 5,000 promises in the Bible. And I did a, a quick count up that if we exclude sleep each day and our eating, there is a promise for every other hour of the day. We're in a kingdom that can't fail. All we need to do is say yes. Yes, Lord, I do want everything that you have for me. Everything. And I am prepared to let you strip me away today. Anything that's stripped away is not good for us. God only wants the best. We're, we're the apple of his eye, we're his children. Are you prepared to position yourself for increased capacity today? If you are, just feel free to come up the front. If you want to have prayer here or grab someone beside you or someone that you know here that you'd be happy for them to pray for you, I just speak a blessing over each one of you. And just as we wind up, if you're all good with this and you feel it's coffee time, you're welcome to go and have some coffee. But don't let this moment pass if God is, is tugging on your, on your heartstrings today. Father, I pray a blessing on each person here, blessing on each family represented. God, as we go about doing kingdom work for you today, tomorrow, and through the week. Thank you that you're with us, that you're for us, 
that you will never leave us nor forsake us. And help us, Lord, to increase the capacity so you can do what you want through our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.